0: Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I'm joined by one awesome co-host this week. Laura Nash. And it's just the two of us. This is going to be a little bit of a different episode for us, um, but I'm really excited about it because we've been talking for quite a, lo- quite a while about covering more interactive fiction on this show. It's something that we all love and are pretty passionate about, but up to now, we've pretty much only ever covered interactive fiction in the context of IF Comp, which we always love doing. I look forward to it every year. But we've talked about why don't we just cover interactive fiction games the same way we cover any other game. Take a game, talk about it in depth, make it a full length episode. And uh, I'm really excited to do that.
1: And what better time than summer reading? I mean, we talk a lot about using the podcast as excuse to fill in some of our gaps in our, quote, education when it comes to games. Like, yeah. we played classics we never touched. Like, Journey. I hadn't played Journey before we played it for the podcast.
0: Yeah. Grim Fandango. I hadn't played it. Uh-huh. Everyone else in their entire world had played it. We played it for the show. I loved it. There were things I didn't like about it, but... There were a lot of things I loved about it and was really glad to play. And I probably wouldn't have played it if we hadn't played it together as part of the show. That's sort of what I like about this. And I hope that what our listeners like about it, too, because I, I know we're always sort of, you know, I, I hope it's not just lip service that we're encouraging people to play along with us or to, uh, to you know, treat this as a sort of a book club.
1: Yeah, and this is probably the best reviewed free game we've ever covered or ever will cover. Uh, it is Counterfeit Monkey by Emily Short. And what happened was um, there is a every four years survey that goes out to the interactive fiction community where they vote on the best games they've ever played. And Counterfeit Monkey hit number one. None of us had played it. Yeah. Disgraceful.
0: I I, I was... Honestly, when I saw that, I was like, I guess I really just have to do something about this now because I've, I've always wanted to play it. I, I'm a great admirer of Emily Short. I've played other games that she's done. I read her blog, pretty much everything she posts. Um, I think she's one of the really great thinkers in interactive fiction. Um, just really important in that scene. And it's a scene that's important to me, even though maybe I'm not the most informed person in the scene. I, I try to keep up where I can. Um, but I'd still never played this incredibly well-regarded game. Um, can I give you a really, like, lame excuse for why that is? Sure. I don't like monkeys. I thought this was about oh. monkeys. I thought there were monkeys in it. Oh, <laughs> so. wow. Yeah.
1: No, there's no monkeys in this game unless you – well, that's a spoiler. So what I will say is if you're – listening to us talk about this and you've never heard about interactive fiction uh it is a game where you read it is fiction that you can play with so if you are a crossword puzzle fan if you like word games if you like scrabble especially this game it's for you it it is a game about playing with language so if any of those appeal to you and you've never played interactive fiction use this as your onboarding i will not uh say that this is going to set uh a absurdly high bar for you. It <laughs> like, might. I think that's true. Like it might set a really high bar, but like you're going to have a fun time. Yeah. So if you've never played, try this one out.
0: Yeah, so uh, we've talked a lot about interactive fiction on this show, but I know some folks if you're, you know, if you're mostly here for hearing us talk about like modern indie games or what have you, uh, they might kind of zone out or not be particularly interested when we start talking for 3 weeks at a time about IF comp. And that's understandable. Um but I think, and we've we've talked about interactive fiction as a concept before, but I think it's worth just spending a couple seconds on like what that is for the folks who, you know, might not be playing along. Um, Interactive fiction is another word for the sort of text adventure games that you are probably familiar with from uh, years past, or even if you're not familiar with, you may remember uh, seeing, I don't know, uh, Tom Hanks' character playing a game in Big where he's Uh, typing commands into his super eighties computer uh, and, and, and little things happen on the screen. And that that game had graphics, but it was it was a sort of a custom-made-for-the-movie uh, pastiche on interactive fiction. Um, or if you've ever seen anything from Infocom, a famous company from uh, from yesteryear that made a bunch of very popular games. Like, well, they didn't make Zork, but they sort of adapted and released Zork. They did the, uh, uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy game. Many, many, many games.
1: And if you've ever read a Choose Your Own Adventure book, please don't sue us. They've been suing other podcasts. We're not reading a book. We are just mentioning you by name. Don't sue us. <laughs> Choose your own adventure. Oh TM is another type of interactive fiction, although it's in book form. Yeah, there we're so. talking
0: about sort of a choice-based thing here. Um The sort of classic, you know, capital I interactive fiction, we're usually talking about games that take place in what's called a text parser. So you're typing commands sort of like a old computer command line sort of descended from that, but it's the parser is a piece of software that's designed to understand the sort of natural language, English text that you type into it, uh, usually kind of simplified. So not totally conversational, but, and there are conventions for the sorts of things that you would type into your parser, but usually you're typing things like, you know, go North, um, you know, pick up object, um, You're solving puzzles in a very adventure gamey kind of way uh, by typing in what you want to do and hoping that the text parser understands what you're typing and can take action based on it.
1: Yeah. And if you have ever talked to Alexa or talked to Siri, uh, you are completely ready for this kind of game. Don't worry about the the barrier to entry because it's not as high as it might sound. It, It does take a little time to set up. Uh, before we get into that, let's give a reason why you should play this game. Mm. I mean, it's gotten all of the awards. I mentioned all of them um, kind of best of all time for this year. When it first came out, it got like third place. So it's still listed
0: really high. It's it's funny how, how this seems to have improved in people's estimation over the years. Obviously, the, the game has been updated, but it's also just one of those things that's slowly I think anyone who pays attention to this scene has realized is one of the games that will totally, truly stand the test of time and is a, a true classic in the medium.
1: And very influential. Yeah. So it's it's a super good game to get started with. But if you're looking to get started, uh, you're going to have to download a tool to read the game. So I played on an app called Trote for Mac and PC. Um, I know you played on Fratz for iOS, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So you'll need a uh, interactive fiction interpreter. Um, and those two are the ones to go with these days. There, You'll probably find there are you know, lots of interactive fiction interpreters out there. If you want to try to avoid confusion, uh, we'll have links in the show notes to the two that we recommend. And Lectroat is my top recommendation. I think this is a game that's best to play on the keyboard that you are most comfortable typing on. And so for most folks, that's going to be a full-size keyboard on your laptop or desktop. And so for that, download Lectrote, that's a weird word, L-E-C-T-R-O-T-E, by Andrew Plotkin. It's free, and you can just download it on your computer and then use it to open the game file. Uh, Interactive fiction games that run in an interpreter like this usually download as a file that opens up in the game program, like you're downloading a document and opening it in your game player. Um, and in this case, it's going to be a gblorb file. Uh, don't worry. Adorable. About, yes. Don't worry about what that means. Um, but you will download your interactive fiction interpreter, either Lectrote for your Mac or PC or Frots for iOS. And there are others. Um, and then you will open the counterfeit monkey gblorb file. And we will also link to that. And that is also a free download. This is an incredible game for free. Uh, I don't Yeah. I mean, the, the, the interactive fiction community is very giving in that way, but this in particular made me feel like, wow, what a value. (laughs)
1: Yeah. And you know, it's a really low barrier to entry. Once you downloading is smooth, you don't have to do any configuration. You just open the file and go. So, um, it is a little bit outside the comfort range if you're used to going to a shop and buying things, but Hey, it's free.
0: Yes, indeed. And, um, you know, we'll probably talk about some of these sort of you know back of the box or headline uh, things that make this game stand out. But I will mention also while we're talking about getting started with it, that this game has an excellent tutorial and it is definitely intended to be approachable for people who have never played an interactive fiction game before. So it's got a very flexible, very intuitive parser that will understand you when you type And if you, if it doesn't understand you, it will usually tell you why. So, um, it's very smart. And then the the tutorial is great. It is an extremely good onboarding what's fascinating about this to me is that it's actually definitely not a, a bog standard interactive fiction game. The central mechanics of this are pretty unique and pretty mind blowing. Um, but it still manages to function as a really, really good interactive fiction intro. If you haven't played one of these before. So this is a great place to start.
1: Yeah, so we've said it's uh, dope and then it's accessible, <laughs> yes. but we actually haven't talked about what it's about other than not monkeys. Yes, yes. So Go for it, Laura. I grabbed four descriptions that people said um, that are not us, so excuse me for plagiarizing, uh, but people said wordplay puzzle game, a crossword puzzle on steroids, uh, Scrabble tiles for real life, first-person parser shooter. Um, <laughs> um, like, people are trying to say all these things, but... Basically, it's this game. Yeah,
0: another I I don't know where to where I lift where I'm lifting this from, but I saw someone call this game and its style of puzzles portal for the English language, which I thought, which
1: I think is my favorite. Yeah,
0: it's such a um, we'll talk about the puzzle mechanics in great depth, but this is. One of those games that has just, like Portal. When you think back at Portal, oh, this is a this is a game that has a single brilliant central puzzle mechanic, and has you iterate on that in a hundred thousand interesting ways and hold your attention the entire time by throwing new variations at you. That's what this game does. It has a single central brilliant puzzle mechanic that is explored in such exhaustive depth that you. You can all every single time some new wrinkle arose, arose. I I I could not believe it. It's it's absolutely a, a Herculean effort. The depth that this game goes into, if you really dig.
1: Yeah. So the idea is the first thing you get. Um, I will talk about the opening, but for the puzzle, the idea is that you get a tool called a letter remover, and you can change the dial to any letter of the alphabet. So let's say you have a caper. You can change it to an R remover to make a cape, and you could turn it into an ape, but it's been factor limited to not let you make living things. So the first thing you do is you learn that you can change the world around you by taking letters out of words. And everything in this world is built that you can change the name of something and change the object. So it's all transformations changing your environment. But what makes it really cool is they tie this into the theme and the world around it. It's not just a puzzle mechanic. It's tied into your environment and the story.
0: It's really brilliant in that way, because this seems like this truly abstract kind of puzzle mechanic, like take an object, remove letters from its name or do other later on. We'll, uh, we'll talk about maybe some other operations that you can do on the names of objects. And you suddenly change that object into whatever it is now named. Um, that sounds so cool, but abstract, but uh, Emily Short is never uh, never satisfied with just a puzzle mechanic. She builds a world around that. So we this is taking place in uh, in the world of anglophone Atlantis, and uh, this is a world where at some point I think in the eighteen hundreds it has a history and there's interesting details of that way, that backstory. They began discovering that we that they were not living in an objective reality. They were living in what is referred to in some places in the game as an observer consensus reality, wherein the language has great power over the actual physicality of things. And that history plays into the sort of nature of the setting. Anglophone Atlantis is a world, a sort of a world where the, that the danger of that reality, that, that reality is shifting under everyone's feet has led to a kind of a police state run by, uh, basically language pedants um and they're try they, who who are trying to restrict language in order to keep an orderly reality and it's it's a really cool setting and you of course are a revolutionary so this has this whole feeling of a uh, espionage it's a caper it's a it's a heist in a way you're trying to uh to pull one over on the uh the grammar Nazi uh government of atlantis it's it's really a great theme and setting
1: yeah and you're trying to escape and to thwart all the bureaucrats and all of the police state trying to bring you down but you're not doing it with guns you're doing it with letter removers and (laughs) trying to just you know you it's the kind of game where you don't take someone's gun you transform it exactly um and for example um Back in the history of Atlantis, they say in 1822, it became independent because they shot a depluralizing cannon at all of the ships to make them one ship and shot that ship. (laughs) So it's a game about being more clever and outwitting your opponents rather than beating them with firepower. And you're going to face people who have firepower. You've got to be smarter than them. And wackier than them, and sillier than them, because this game gets really silly. Oh yeah. Guys.
0: yeah, If you can think of a silly thing to do in this game, it will almost always pay off, and not usually, not even often. Just with a joke, it will. It will often be a really good path forward, and that's such so rewarding to to like look at this in, enormous possibility space, think. I wonder if this funny idea would work. You try it. And yes, it absolutely does. Uh, there's a, there's a saying in the net hack community, um, the dev team thought of everything. And I've never played a game that made me like feel that more than this game. Like this is a true, the dev team thinks of everything experience where there is a zillion things you can try and all of them will do something to tell you that. Yes. Emily Short did think of that thing and she had something funny to tell you when it happens or even just a really clever, you know, even just a very clever way of telling you, no, that doesn't work. It's always a wink to tell you, yes, I see you. I see what you're trying and I like it.
1: I see what you're trying. I like it. And it can nest just next to the ethical implications of whatever linguistic transformation you're doing. You can also spend a good five minutes trying to make the word fart to see what happens. <laughs> The game lets you do both, and the game applauds you for doing both. And most games would not totally accomplish. like it, it just wouldn't expand to fit that. This game is like, I see you tried to make the word shit. <laughs> I'm not here for it because it's too gross, and you can't make a shit in the middle of the road. But good job. I'm going to give you really good language to know that I saw you do that, and I may not be here for it but i get what you're going for. yeah,
0: and i also want to really really highlight that like i was worried that this game would be purely silly because it does, you know, it does lend itself to silliness. the,
1: the or pure concept. a downer to be honest. True. i thought it was going to be a
0: downer. yeah, well this game is is extremely well balanced in tone. it's uh you know, it's got the the thrilling espionage side of it. it's got the funny, jokey wordplay side of it, full of funny surprises. And it also has a story that is very dramatic and actually like, I mean, this is easily one of the better stories and plots that I have run into in interactive fiction. It really has an arc to it. And there's like ethical questions that are raised that are quite interesting. And I, it's uh, there are multiple endings, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit at the end. It's, it's really got a good story that really kept pulling me along even when I got stuck on puzzles, which wasn't that often because it's, you know, it's a good experience in that way for, for puzzle dunces like me.
1: Yeah, it's got a really great hook. The first thing that happens when you open up the parser is it says, can you hear me? You see that you're in a back alley and you say yes or no. And it turns out that you are no longer just you. You have combined with someone else. You yourself are a pairing of words, a synthesis, and as part of your escape plan. And you are... Talking to someone else, it solves that voice in your head problem because you're literally two people. So you have a person to talk to the whole game, which is great. Someone to disagree with you, someone to suggest things, kind of a built-in. But it's not like, um, hey, listen. It's actually <laughs> someone with their own brain and their own ideas. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, I, I love that. So you're, you're wa- we wake up as Alexandra. And it becomes obvious pretty soon that there were two people, Alex and Andra, who have been synthesized into a single person, and this is essentially your disguise. You're smuggling someone out of. So, uh, Andra uh, is a uh, essentially uh, like a smuggler, uh, almost a spy, but more of just someone who likes to smuggle things in and out of the very restrictive anglophone Atlantis. Um, and she's helping Alex escape. And why is he trying to flee? Uh, Anglophone Atlantis is one of the sort of early and fascinating questions of the game that uh, it doesn't answer right away. But when it does, the answer is really interesting, like a really interesting. So um, I, I really, really like this setup. And you're right. Absolutely. It's great to have that sort of voice in your head because Alex is always there in your head talking to Andra, um, and they have very different ideas about some of the stuff that's going on in the game. So it gives you that sort of like multiple perspectives thing. It's really, really clever.
1: Yeah, the stuck up UX term we use for this is the possibility space. I know it sounds like a yoga retreat, but Hmm. um, it means that if you are stuck, especially in a conversation with someone, Someone else uh, will say, hey, I think we should ask him about this or I really want to do this. And you are free to disagree. But if you don't have an opinion, you can go along. Uh, It's really nice to have that kind of bouncing off point, uh, which you don't often get in video games.
0: And it's sort of, worth mentioning up here at the top before we dig in too much further that this game is inspired by a very famous interactive fiction game uh, from Infocom. Um, So there's a game that they did way back in the day called Leather Goddesses of Phobos. And I have played this game but I didn't remember. I mean, it's been years and years and years since I played it. And I, I don't think I actually finished Leather Goddesses of Phobos. So I'm not 100% sure where I, whether I ever ran into its tea remover puzzle. But Leather Goddesses of Phobos had a puzzle in it where you had a massive machine, not nearly as portable and advanced as the ones in, uh, in Counterfeit Monkey, uh, this massive tea remover that would take the teas out of objects. And Emily Short thought that was a clever puzzle. And started out by writing an example for, so she, uh, she was one of the folks who worked on inform seven inform is the system that was used to create this game. Um, and many, many others like it. And uh, so she started by trying to create an example for the Inform documentation, basically imitating that T puzzle, the famous T puzzle from leather goddesses of Phobos. Uh, but she found herself having so much fun with it. Um, trying to come up with clever ways to implement it that would, uh, that would you know, let you remove T's from a larger variety of objects and maybe even remove other types of letters, which is what this game ended up being, um, that she decided to make it its own thing. And it became this absolutely massive game. but that's fun because it, 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 the game references that T puzzle from time to time. There's a point where you go into a museum, and the the tea remover from Leather Goddesses of Phobos is there, um, and I just I, I really liked that that it sort of ties back to this classic work, but expands on it so massively that it's like you don't think about sort of like technological and stylistic advances in the range of text based games all that often. But this game is a massive step forward for games like this.
1: So you talk about that tea remover puzzle. There's a great quote that I found when I was looking back to the nominations for the Zizi Awards, the IF um, Community Awards from the year it was released. And Carl Munchenhumpf, sure, that's how you pronounce his name. (laughs) Sorry, Carl, Uh, said, Counterfeit Monkey by Emily Short takes a single puzzle and turns it into a world. So... That's basically what she did. She took this idea about the tear mover, turned it into a really robust puzzle, turned it into what are the logical implementations? Like, if you can do this, what does that mean for the world? Huge
0: change. Yeah, yeah. It's a huge change. And so some of the things that... So Emily Short on her blog listed out things that if this game had a box... And it doesn't because it's free and you can download it from her blog, but, uh, or we'll have a link to uh, also other places on the internet where you can download it for free. But if it had a box, uh, she listed out some of the things that she would have put on the box as sort of design or, you know, selling points. And I think some of these are are good good things to note if you're considering playing the game. Um, First, she says that this game has a tutorial and merciful design and multiple solutions for those who like their puzzles gentle. And that's absolutely what I found with this. You know, there's almost always two ways to approach a puzzle in this and sometimes many, many, many more than two. You know, there's, you know, you have sometimes a very, very large inventory um, that you're carrying around, just like a massive backpack full of crap. And at any moment, you can take any of those objects out and remove letters from them, reset them by rubbing a sort of gel on them that resets them to what they originally were. You can remove letters from them multiple times. So you might uh, need to do two or three steps and step through multiple objects in order to get to what you're looking for. Um, And Everything in the game has like if you think it ought to be able to do X or Y, it probably can. Um, so you know you you might find that there are four or five things in your inventory that you can, by various letter removals, turn into something that will help you solve a puzzle. It's really clever.
1: If you want to know how many options you have, uh, there is a uh, flowchart that she's made. You can look at. I wouldn't look at it before you finish, or maybe if you get really stuck. Um, but there is a puzzle, and it says. At some point, you have 12 options, which means if you didn't pick up something, if you can't think of a word, there's options. There's lots of way around it. There are times where uh, I was trying to help Reagan, and he had done something completely really different, and that's fine. The game is really open. It'll still reward you. Um, it's not just two or three items. It can be like eight, 12, just an absurd amount of solutions to answers, which is good for a game that should feel this open.
0: Yeah, yeah. It makes it feel very like improvisational. Like, you know, I think I, I'm just going to try some stuff. And if it seems like it ought to work, it probably will. Um, she also says there are achievements for esoteric solutions and an optional hard mode for those who want more challenge. I didn't play with the hard mode. Um, and I'm not sure much exactly what it does to make things harder. Have you read anything about that, Laura?
1: I've read that the hard mode puts a couple more restrictions up front uh there are fewer um fewer multiple solutions they might put some artificial boundaries some additional puzzles. It's not like mm-hmm. um you you might have fewer options so you have to be a little bit more um your inventory management comes into play from what I understand
0: mm-hmm. that makes sense um and the achievements are really just you know nice this game handles uh handles them by just sort of acknowledging when you do something clever and I like that um
1: and small spoiler so skip ahead 15 seconds if you're worried apparently there are achievements for like each of the founders of the country including one guy who liked to collect body parts so (laughs) apparently that's a fun like easter egg people have been trying to find all the achievements um there are a lot of it's body a fun parts thing to play. There's a lot of
0: body parts. Kind of this gross. Game. Um, friendly navigation, built-in graphical map, compass rows, and go-to room features. So this can't be overstated. How good this is. Um, many uh, interactive fiction games. Obviously, you are like the very old interactive fiction games. Kind of expected you to be mapping things out on graph paper as you played. This game has an on-screen graphical map that is just part of the game for you, um, which is great. And the map itself is this very clever. Uh, design that kind of fits in well with the experience where it's not just a bunch of boxes connected by lines. It's a kind of a like I, th- I think this is sort of like
1: it's a typographical map. Like right. if you've seen the neighborhood maps that only have the neighborhoods written in words, it's that kind of a thing for a map. And yeah, it's I was going to say this is the
0: kind of thing you would cool. find like if you if you went to the IKEA in Anglophone Atlantis and they had oh, yeah. this would come with its own frame. It's like it's it's beautiful, uh, but it's very also very designy. Um, but it's also functional. Like it, it really does serve the purpose of being able to get around this entire city. Um, pretty easily and not being lost. And it has an on-screen compass rose that tells you uh, which directions you can go at any time, which is very convenient. And also... Life saver. Oh yeah, huge. And it also highlights places you haven't been. So if you look at the compass rose and north is blue rather than white, that means that you haven't been to wherever is to the north of you. And that actually was super helpful to me as well. So um, huge, uh, just usability improvements here. Um,
1: Yeah. And you can also fast travel in this one. If you are, if there's not like a locked door blocking you, you can just quickly say, I want to go across town. You don't have to trek across town. Mm. You can just jump there. Yeah.
0: You can, you can type in go to, and the name of a room. And in many cases, you can also say go to, and the name of an object. And if you know where that object is, it'll take you to it, which is great. Um, Alabaster style conversation engine. I haven't played Alabaster either, so maybe that's another one to add to my list. Um, you can talk to people. Yeah, yeah. Basically, it's got a nice, uh, nice conversation engine. I think the main thing that that I uh, I liked about that. I mean, it's not like it's not like every NPC in this is like Galatea from uh, uh, from other works by uh, by Emily Short, but it, it in almost all cases when you are conversing with an NPC, you can type things like "ask about blank" and. It doesn't always have something to say, um, but it it very frequently does. And when there's important things that you should ask about, um, it adds a bit of text at the bottom of the screen that says, I'd like to ask about blank, or I'd like to tell them about blank, or that sort of thing.
1: Which is your Alex chiming in. Exactly. I'll also say that uh, she claims there are roughly 100 locations to explore, which sounds enormous. And it does feel big. but. The original estimate was eight to 10 hours for an experienced IF player to play on easy mode. For me, it was more like five or six. And I think that's because she's done a lot of updates to make this more accessible so you don't get stuck as often. So I won't think, I don't think that it's not necessarily an experienced interactive fiction player. I'd say, like, if you've done linguistic puzzles before or you just play, you know, do crosswords you're probably looking closer to five or six despite a hundred locations to explore.
0: Yeah. I I think, I think that's about right. I think five or six was what it took me. I think I spent maybe two hours a night on this playing it, um, you know, over three nights over the course of a week. Um, It's, It's also pretty easy to pick up and put down, which I sometimes have trouble with, with uh, interactive fiction. You know, if if I forgot what I was trying to do, we didn't mention it up top, but there's a goals feature in this game, which is so Mm. helpful. So, you know, if I was coming back to this game after a couple of days, you can type in goals at any time and it will list what your current goals are. Um, They're not like, it's not going to tell you like, go to X spot and do X or Y thing. The goals are fairly general, but they're enough to remind you of what you were trying to do. And it's a huge help.
1: Yeah, so the joke in uh, our discord formerly slack was that if a game said open world that meant that it was not a short game and i feel like this game has a bit of dna in that your inventory can get massive and you can do so many Mm. different things and you can transform in so many things that like it feels like you might have 30 objects in your inventory that can be transformed into 900 things like how on earth is that a short game well they put really smart like you don't feel like you have limitations. You can play and you can be creative and mess around with stuff. But uh, you also can kind of limit a little bit of the activities because you, you use it for a puzzle, you move on. It feels very kind of puzzle driven. You have goals, you have things to do. It's You can spend hours and hours playing and having fun with your inventory, but there is a drive to move forward. There's goals. There's a place to go. Um, You can play as much as you want in the sandbox, but there is something on the horizon that's a lot more interesting. You'll get new things if you keep moving forward. So I think it's a really good mix of openness and drive.
0: Totally. Yeah. Uh, There's so much about this game to admire. I I love how Like totally free. It makes you feel as you're moving around. The the city is is massive, but you never feel lost. And your inventory is just absolutely gargantuan, but you never feel totally overwhelmed by it. It, It's just just extremely open and just really feels like, yeah, you're always moving forward. You're always doing something useful. So
1: something I read afterwards that she wrote a little bit about her development, uh, she wrote a lot about making a fair puzzle which I think is one of the tricks here because we talked about a lot of solutions but uh, we've all played games with lots of solutions that none of the solutions are clued or the solutions are really hard to fill and like you just kind of we've played those adventure games where you're just pointing and clicking on everything in the inventory hoping something will match Mm -hmm. Um, and she talked about there are three kinds of categories of puzzle so the first one is you know what you have to change but you don't know what exactly so like you might need to make something smaller but you don't know, okay, what word, like looking at this word, how can I transform it into a smaller object? You do not know the name of the object, but you're like, I have these, this thing, these, like, this world, this area in front of me. I need to change it. Limited words, but they could be transformed into anything. So still an openness, but a limitation.
0: So she also lists uh, puzzles where you know what you need to create but you don't know what from. Uh, So for example, uh, needing to get some oil, but not knowing what the source of that will be. So then you're kind of hunting either through your inventory or through the spaces that you're in to see if there are any objects that you can remove letters from to get the thing that you want. And those are very clear and and I wouldn't say they're not easy puzzles because they're often you have to go through several steps. Um, what makes those puzzles particularly interesting and challenging is that maybe I need to get that oil, but the object I have that can be turned into oil isn't just one letter off from oil. Maybe it's three or four letters off from oil. And I need to figure out steps intermediate to that to get my object from, uh, you know, whatever it is down to that object with fewer letters. Um, but you can't just, you can't remove multiple letters at a time and every step has to be an actual word. Um, so that makes it very challenging, but it also is a pretty clear type of puzzle. And I thought those were the, probably my favorite.
1: Yeah. You can't just go from cable to cab. You could take the, you can't like take the E off because cowl is not a word. <laughs> so you have to be really clever about what letters you remove in what order, mm-hmm. um, which, which adds a little bit of, uh, extra challenge to it. And the last one is you might just know, like, I need a thing that makes noise. I need a thing that is blue. Like, you're just trying to get something that suits a general category. So that's the most open. You have a lot of words but you also have a lot of answers. So, did
0: you play the bar game based on that type? I of did puzzle? play the bar. There's game. a really clever bit in the fairly early game where you are in a bar and they have a game that you can play in the bar that is literally just an optional opt-in version of this type of puzzle where you place a bet and then one of the bar patrons will propose a category of object. Well, first you have to put up an object of your own. Just pick an object, and then one of the bar patrons will put up a category for you to transform it into. So maybe you've pulled out an apple and someone at the bar will say, make it a liquid. And then you have to figure out how to take your apple and turn it into, uh, I don't think this is a spoiler too much because they will- Don't
1: don't spoil this one, but just turn it into a liquid. Yeah. You guys can play along at home. You can maybe imagine. I don't think that one is optional. I think you have to get I think you have to solve it, but we can talk about that one later. Sure. Um, yeah. But um, basically, she's like, if the puzzle she wrote didn't fit into one of those categories, she axed it.
0: Yeah, which is, I think, really, really smart because it this game is not just about giving you like a this incredible set of tools. It's also about getting you familiar with just the logic of using those tools in, in the sorts of ways that we were just talking about there. You know, there's all these different ways that you can apply the tools, but it all sort of comes down to these, these three styles of puzzles, which once you get your head around those, you know, every, every object in this game becomes sort of a, another tool in the box of, of sort of solving those
1: I'll also say if you find yourself needing to phone a friend and you're not in our discord and can't just ask us um, this helps a ton because if you do get stuck, I've played games where I've looked I don't know the phrase to look for to get a hint and um, I found when I was looking at my notes I wanted to look up like certain puzzles to get phrases you can you know you could google bar puzzle or like liquid or but even more explicit you could say counterfeit monkey thing that makes noise and it will bring you straight to an InvisiCloose hint on that. So I'm not saying every single puzzle problem you might have is going to be covered, but because she's so explicit about what kind of thing you might need, it's a lot easier to find a hint if you need it.
0: Yeah. Although, I mean, I I will also say that my favorite thing about playing this game this time was that Laura and I were together on Discord and we were using Discord liberally along with their spoiler tags to sort of ask each other questions and make up our own invisi clues as we were uh, working our way through it. So if you aren't on our Discord uh, and you want to play this game and have somebody to chat about or need a hint, uh, get in touch. Laura is excellent at giving hints on this game that don't spoil the experience, but help move you forward.
1: It's definitely of the, like, have you looked at a book? (laughs) Like, I try not to say, like, use the thing on the thing. Um, But it's just there's not, like, a great list of gated clues or something out there already, although there are some substantial hint threads should you need them. Yeah.
0: So do we want to have a spoiler break on this episode? Are we going to talk spoilers at the end?
1: Other than saying that, yes, this is a meaningful plot and it is fulfilling, I don't think we should spoil the plot, but we are going to talk about some of our favorite jokes moving forward. So if you want to experience all the weirdness in its entirety and you don't want to know any of the possibilities that open up, drop now. Um, I, I consider this a light spoiler break where we will not talk about any major puzzle solutions, but we might say like, this was hilarious and it might be anywhere in the gameplay.
0: Yeah, yeah, and we're not going to talk too much about like the specifics of the plot or anything either. So, um, yeah, no, no direct spoilers here. Um, but we are going to be talking about some stuff that occurred in the game. And so, if that is something you don't want at all, uh, now's the time. Um, I there are so many good jokes in this game, like so many little clever like. <sighs> Emily Short thought of everything, and half of the things she thought of, she thought of some really funny things to say about it or amusing ways to have things play out. Just really funny. Um, Do you have any favorite jokes or funny moments that seem to sort of emerge out of it?
1: Yes. So I think one of the first things I did, um, so you, at a certain point in the game, you've had these limitations on your wand. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe yeah, limitations the are made to be broken wand, basically yeah. you're a letter removing wand and uh, it uh, it's fun because people of the past apparently when this game came out didn't assumed those limitations would never be broken
0: right Because I mean it if seemed- you're thinking about like making a game like this, like the, the idea that you know the, the idea that you can turn any object into any other inanimate object is already such a massive possibility space that like it, the idea, that those restrictions of you can't create an animate object, you can't create people or a animals. A living thing. Seems
1: just or like a Or that you can't thing, create right? abstract concepts makes sense because who wants to write all of that text? Well, the answer is Emily Short wants to write all that text because she did. And you get the answer to like, you unlock, you, you go hack your... Uh, letter remover and the first thing i did was i look at my inventory and right at the top is a ball and i was like i'm gonna remove the b and create oh no all. um what happens when you create all is it starts going through every letter of the alphabet <laughs> every o- and every object
0: in the dictionary starts spilling every out object, of object in the
1: dictionary starts spilling out and it just like overflows and it gets like partway through the a's and uh just like and then it chokes and basically overwhelms the world and destroys it and then it like pauses and says perhaps you or that's what would have happened if you had been so foolish to actually do it which you didn't right yeah
0: there was a and specific type, one yes. that it, it there's a specific <laughs> one and i wish i remember the actual word because there's some word that begins with a that that means something about lava i can't remember what the word oh, was yeah, now oh yeah it's
1: like a giant lava
0: flow yeah and that yeah, and then that's what realize- kills you you're killed by a lava flow which is Created in this particular word, which happens to be near the, near the beginning of the uh, alphabet. Spl-
1: but it's implied that you destroy the universe. Oh yeah. Um, so that was great. I couldn't resist creating all. But my other favorite um, abstract is I created the concept of sin, which was an academic reading a book while people were dying all around you. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> that's like there that's, were all kinds of. Good. I also I made a uh, poppycock at one point, which was just like a little bad man who like Chuck who had like a cheeks popped out and like yelling (laughs) at you like just so many good um little bits in here um that weren't really there were some of those were just me just messing around i was like oh i can make this word i want to know what the the idea is one of my favorite things that i thought i needed to do and i didn't is i turned a crate into a kate and it was like, you might not have known this, but it is a small confection. <laughs> and it's because they know that, like, you don't know what the word Kate is. You were just trying to figure out how to move a crate. Like, she knows that you don't know these obscure words, and she delights in it. Yeah, that's my, Those are almost all my favorite jokes were accidentally creating an obscure object and her explaining it to me.
0: Yeah, I really loved that. I, I also loved the, the, the way that the um, abstract object's Thing works. There are occasionally times when those are important parts of puzzles. Like, um, I won't tell you how it's used, but you you at one point create the word word. And that means you just have a, a sort of a word hovering in Helvetica font that sort of like floats around with you. And uh, that becomes an important puzzle element. And so, like, abstract concepts, they all have this, it calls them reified. Uh, abstract concepts—they all have to become real in some way, and so the way that the abstract concepts become real is always at least interesting and sometimes very funny. Um, Can you
1: please explain to the class how you ended—not well, how you ended up with a rump stabber, but oh my what God. happened? This was when your Rump Stapper was brought into the wild. Yes.
0: So this was after you gained the ability to create, you know, living creatures. And I was in a, I won't explain the content, the the moment, but I was in a confrontation. Or how it
1: happened. Right.
0: But yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm in a confrontation, let's say. And I am looking for a way to distract the person that I am confronting. And I'm looking around the room trying to find an object that I can. And at this point, and I don't think it's a huge spoiler to say at this point, we've gained some new, this is fairly late game. So I hope this is it's not at all plot relevant. So hopefully it won't be, uh, too much of a spoiler, but, um, I am going to explain a little bit about, uh, a, a very funny moment that emerged out of some late game, um, powers or abilities that you gain that are, uh, so if, if this sounds like something you don't want to hear about, go ahead and skip forward a little. Um, but at this point in the in the game, you've gained the ability to anagram things. So uh, I have a device that can turn an object into an anagram of itself, and I had a lot of fun. Shooting everything I could with the anagram device. And most of the time, it would come up with nothing at all. Uh, But because sometimes these things have quite long or complicated names and there's no good anagrams for them. But there is on the desk behind the person that I was confronting, there was a rubber stamp. And so I thought, well, might as well try. And I shot it. And it became a rump stabber. And what is a rump stabber? You might ask. Well, it's a devilish looking little man with a a switchblade knife who then proceeded to for several turns, every time I would take an action, it would say the rump stabber is trying to get a good position behind you. <laughs> and <laughs> the rump stabber is, is attempting to move around behind you. And I was, hoping, I was hoping that the rump stabber, I decided let's see how this plays out. I was really hoping the rump stabber would get at the person I was try- having this standoff with. But no, the rump stabber came after me. And so eventually, finally, the rump stabber worked his way behind me and stabbed me in the rump and I died. And it was just...
1: <laughs> died with a switchblade in your ass. I know. And it's
0: just <laughs> it's just such an absurd little thing that, like, there's no plot reason for the rump stabber to be there. Um, there is no... Uh, there's no... Uh, significance to it other than that it's a very good joke but it was a great joke that just emerged naturally out of that situation and i was really hoping that it was the solution to a puzzle but it was almost better that it wasn't because it was just this absurd little thing like oh man i was it was such a great discovery
1: and it's a game where several times i made something cuz i thought it was funny and then three rooms later it was the solution to a puzzle oh yeah I was like, oh okay yeah um, yeah because i thought it would just be really funny to see what happened if i did this that and the other and there's i mean there's a lot of easter eggs here too like uh you get a power of a monocle that can look through like show the real version of things and you go in a church and it just goes haywire never figured out why it's going haywire would love to find out maybe in hard mode someday but it's not just funny jokes. It's also like just weird, mysterious stuff that you could probably dig into, but I couldn't solve it, moved on. Wasn't important. Yeah,
0: yeah there's, um, the, the really astonishing thing about all this is that there. You know, obviously there's this massive uh, space of different potential objects you can create. And even more massive once we start getting into things like abstract concepts and, and uh, creatures, like people or animals. Um, and every single one of them, not only just has some text about it, but in many cases have behavior. Um, so like that rump stabber, you know, Emily short had to think that, Oh, I'm going to throw this rump stabber in. What is the rump stabber going to do? And had to execute on that as an activity that the rump stabber would do. And, and like the, so many of them are totally optional and yet they still have cool behavior. Like I, I, at one point, um, had a jotter and I turned it into an otter. Right. And as far as I can tell, the otter is involved in no puzzles in the game, but if you create the otter, it likes you and it follows you around for the rest of the game. And, uh, every time you enter a room as part of the description of the room, it'll say, oh yes, you know, you're in, you're in the conservatory and there are great shelves and, uh, covered in books and the otter is here and It's like every time. And I, I just, I, I, couldn't get enough of that i kept the otter with me for the entire rest of the game until finally i had to part from the otter uh which was very sad but uh so many little wonderful details in this game just like that like if you think that it might potentially work it probably does and it probably has something clever that it does or says or or you know some really clever little thing about it that will make you think wow i I can't believe emily short thought of that
1: it's the power of the game Scribble Knots, but it's not as like unsatisfying as like ball falls to earth. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. In this case, the ball's description, and you can play with it. I think that uh, I took so many screenshots of delightful text descriptions mm. that they became essentially meaningless, and I decided not to just quote the whole game to you over this podcast. Yeah. But uh, we've praised the puzzles. It's also the writing that makes this thing
0: tick. Yeah, the writing is so good. Uh, Emily Short is a great writer and you know you only have to read her blog to tell that she's an engaging writer but when she's really you know firing on all cylinders like she is here she is great at uh language and humor she is great at story she's great at engaging characters this game is full of really colorful characters that like interactive fiction doesn't often do character well but this game really really does um Great writing, Just a really great, I would read a novel set in this, this world. I think it would be a really fun one to read.
1: Yeah, there is a novel that I feel is almost inspired by this called LMNOP about a, uh, it is a book where uh, there's a statue of um, the guy who admitted the phrase, uh, the quick brown box jumps over the lazy dog. And slowly over time, the letters start falling off the statues. And then everyone eliminates the letters, like starts banning the letters. So the book drops letters that you keep going. Huh. Um, and it's the closest as I feel like like that but it's a lot more literary and a lot less um, about bureaucracy it's like oh no we're all doing this crazy thing this game has consequences like yeah it does completely undermine the world to be able to change stuff all the time and it is dangerous and like criminality rules like I see why a police state might emerge here it is a really fun thing to not just say this is a cool idea and a fun thing to play but also, yeah, there are ethical ramifications of what you're doing, and you might be trying to do good, but also there are consequences. It's really good to have a game where you're a good guy, probably. Yeah. I- you're not a bad one, but there are, you are doing some shady stuff, and you are, as a player, completely complicit and knowledgeable of that. In a game that is silly, it's great.
0: I'm not going to spoil it for anyone here, but the, uh, there are some really big ideas that aren't really executed on as part of the game, but are part of the motivations of Alex, the, you know, the, the, the voice in your head, essentially. Um, Alex's motivations are so fascinating and so sort of grounded in the uh in the sort of ethical questions that this world and the way that it works raises. It's just fascinating. Like there, there's so many, like cool thought experiments included in this, some of which are part of the game and its and its puzzles and plot and others that are just sort of like out there on the periphery, these ideas that the game raises to have you thinking about like, well, that seems silly, but what if, what if, oh, that would be really interesting. Um, such a cool world, such a cool world to, to, to get to play around in.
1: Yeah, in short, which this podcast is not, or I guess in Emily short, haha. Uh, um, okay. Turns out that playing, yeah. Thank you for laughing at that. <laughs> it turns out that you know playing a classic voted the greatest interactive fiction uh, game of all time is a really good time. Yeah. Classic <laughs> games that everyone likes are popular for a reason. Yeah. Turns out. Turns
0: out if you Who knew? Uh, yeah. So I think this really is a really good place to start with interactive fiction. I'm sure that if you go to that list, the uh, the newly voted interactive fiction top 50, um, which the, the methodology there is, you know, th- these things, it's not scientific. This is the top 50 based on um, everybody in the IF community had the opportunity to post on a forum where they could list their personal top 20 games of all time. And then they used that, collection of all of those top 20 lists that everyone created over, I think it was a few, several months um, to sort of uh, combine and see what was uh, what appeared on most people's lists. And this filtered to the top because it was in the top 20 list of the most people. Um, yeah,
1: 27 people said this was one of their favorite
0: games. Yeah. And I mean, that's that also sort of drives home that you know, IF is a fairly small community. Twenty-seven people liking this game makes it the best IF game of all time. That's the thing about interactive fiction. It's a it's a you know uh, medium that is its own community. It is a tiny little corner of gaming that I dearly, dearly love, and I hope that you will too. If you aren't already sort of deeply embedded in the IF space, like give it a shot. This is it's it's such a cool little community. Um, they come together Very for welcoming. this stuff, like voting on top lists and voting on uh, you know awards every year. Voting on things like IF Comp. Um, and it's just it's amazing that such a tiny but dedicated community can produce so much good stuff every year, and some things that are just so astonishing. Things like Counterfeit Monkey, and I mean. I, I also will point people back to the wizard sniffer, which we talked about last year, mm-hmm. which uh, won the last IF comp we discussed on the show and things like that, that just feel like these perfect games, just truly. Yeah. perfect.
1: And if you have, uh, Gotten through this game and are looking for more. We did cover several of these games during our IF comp coverage, Mm -hmm. especially some of the recent ones. Uh, Wizard Sniffer is definitely on that list as well. So if you want to go back and listen, yeah, there's maybe uh, some recency bias involved
0: here because there is, you know, recent (laughs) games tend to show up on these lists because people are thinking about them. But honestly, I think if they do another one of these in four years or heck, in you know, uh, 12 years, this will the Wizard Sniffer and this will probably still be on people's lists.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, if you somehow have listened to the end of this and are still like, I don't know if I'm sold on I have comp. which what have you been doing with the last hour? I'll say this game community also really writes about the mechanics and the of game design. So if you're ever interested in learning about how these games are made there are a lot of articles and a lot of information if you're into mechanics. So kind of scholars of games, this is definitely a category to check out more.
0: Yeah, IF people love words and they love to write about games. And they are, you know, very often like Emily Short is a great game creator, but she's a great writer about her own work and about IF in general. Um, And that's common, I think, in the IF community is people like to talk about the ideas behind and the, the execution of these types of games. And interactive fiction is a bit of a test bed for for narrative and puzzle and other design elements, you know, that people can create these big ideas in interactive fiction and execute on them that you'll see 10 years later showing up in, you know, larger, more commercial works. So it always feels a little bit like you are getting a look at the future. Now this game came out in 2012. So this was the future then. And, uh, it's, I think feels still like the future now, because I don't think we are seeing this style of, uh, of this kind of thing, uh, in this, this feels so native to interactive fiction. It'd be so impossible to do something like this in any other genre, but anyway, it, it, Interactive fiction is, is such a wonderful community and wonderful sort of medium because it just allows for these new big ideas to be executed on easily and iterated on and talked about in depth. And it's just so exciting. So play interactive fiction, do it. Um, um, yeah, so this game is making me happy, but
1: what else is making you happy, Reagan?
0: I feel like I'm gonna be sort of repeating myself a little bit here, because several weeks ago I said on the what's making me happy segment that I was excited about buying a Neo Geo. Um, But at the time I didn't actually have it working yet, but this week I got all the pieces and parts that I needed in, including some that I was waiting on to ship from China and things that I was waiting on some uh, helpful people on the internet to literally build for me and then send to me. And I got everything in and assembled it all. And now I have a working Neo Geo setup. And I will say just so that I'm not r- repeating exactly the same thing um, because of that, I've been going through a bunch of Neo Geo games that I haven't played before. And I found a new one that I really am just having an absolutely great time with. It's probably not a truly great game, quote unquote, but it's super cute and fun. It is called Captain Tomaday. And I've been playing Captain Toma Day this week. Captain Toma Day is a shoot 'em up where you play as a tomato that falls into a vat of sciency fluid and turns into a superpowered living tomato that can fly and has detachable arms. And uh, then you fly around. It's basically like a like a vertically scaling shoot 'em up. Only instead of firing bullets, you have a left punch and a right punch, and you're you know each on a separate button. And so you are flying around, firing your detachable arms and hitting uh, objects. And usually the the enemies are like also a little weird. You know, mundane objects like forks and spoons come to life, that kind of thing. So it's a truly fun and great game. I hundred percent recommend that if you uh, if you have a way to play Neo Geo games, uh, this is a lesser known one. I haven't seen this one come out on the switch, for example. but I'm having a lot of fun with all of the Neo Geo stuff. and uh, especially uh, this week anyway, uh, Captain Tomaday trying to do a one credit clear on that one. I don't think that's probably going to happen even with it turned down to its easiest setting, but it's uh, it's a lot of fun and cute. Uh, Laura, what's making you happy this week?
1: So I am uh, currently visiting a family at my husband's parents' beach house, and that means my brother, sister, sister-in-law, niece and nephew, uh, my other sister-in-law, <laughs> everyone's here. And it's, uh, we played the, tonight earlier uh, the game Telestrations, which is a Pictionary uh, telephone merger. And you we are using a nice pretty box version of this, but I've played it at uh, work with Post-it notes. Mm-hmm. And what it is is you uh, get a word or phrase, and someone writes it down, passes the card or notebook to the next person. They look at the word, uh, flip the page, draw the word. Pass it to the next person. They look at the picture you drew. Try to guess what you drew. Pass the word over. The next person draws the picture, and it goes on like this in this Pictionary guessing telephone game until you get to the end. Uh, Already tonight, I drew what i thought was a stellar water buffalo (laughs) um i drew a glass of water plus a a water buffalo i passed it to my husband who looked at it and thought i drew a bean yak and he was (laughs) like bean yak isn't a thing so we just wrote the word yak and then that went to someone a drawing of someone puking so you can see how this gets out of hand (laughs) extremely fast um i also think like uh triplets ended up being like pregnancy ended up being alien like (laughs) we think we're good at drawing but we're not and it's a really really fabulous party game cheap as hell um and honestly if everyone's like not really sure if they want to play a game or for how long and everyone's feeling that kind of after dinner malaise where they would like to drink a glass of wine and laugh yes but also like have a little time to be quiet for a second Telestrations is a great game. It's got that match of quiet and uproarious laughter that is a hard thing to fill. <laughs>
0: That's great. Um, that And it sounds so simple that you could play it just, you know, literally anywhere. It's like... Uh...
1: And it expands to fill the space. So, like, when I played it, as I said, at work, it was supposed to be, like, killing time before a holiday party, and then people later in the holiday party got those index cards back out and got, you know, completely bliss and turned it into a drinking game. Hmm. Do not recommend that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> especially not with your family. But, uh, uh, my sister also said there is a dirty words version of this that she has played at many bachelorette parties. Should you need that?
0: Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the short game. Uh, our show is supported by Patreon, Uh, and so uh, if you aren't aware, we mentioned it briefly earlier in the episode, uh, all of our patrons or supporters at any level get access to our Discord, which is a great way to chit-chat with us about the show. Uh, We keep uh, channels on there to chit-chat about any episode that we've done, at least since we started the Discord. Um, So you can go back and talk about Counterfeit Monkey with other folks who will hopefully be playing it along with you, or at the very least with us, where we can offer suggestions or hints. Laura, like I said, is great at hinting uh, without giving things away. Thank you, Laura. Very much appreciated. Um, so if you would like to support us, uh, we would very much appreciate your support at patreon.com slash the short game, or you can go to www.theshortgame.net and click the Patreon link at the top. Um, supporters at the $1 a month level or higher get access to our discord. Supporters at the $5 a month level get access to the discord and also our sincere thanks (laughs) we are actually coming up with things to do for higher level discord tier or excuse me higher level uh, patreon tiers if you have thoughts about this matter let us know uh, you can also get in touch with us at www.theshortgame.net where you'll find a contact form. It's a great way to let us know about short video games that you are playing or that are coming up and you think are interesting. Um, and uh, you can also find us on Twitter at underscore shortgame. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm at Reagan K. That's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. Laura, where can people find you?
1: You can find me on Twitter at Laura J. Nash. Laura J, just the letter,
0: Nash. And listeners, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game.